0: Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every day, decisions are made across Maine that impact our environment, and Mainers play a crucial role as we speak up for climate action, the clear air, clear water, and open spaces that we all love. Come sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories that you need to know, what lies ahead, and hear what you can do about it. Thanks for listening as we share our view the front lines.
1: I'm your host, Colin Durant, and welcome to another episode of Frontline Voices. I'm really excited about our discussion today because it centers around one of the most significant environmental milestones in recent Maine history, the creation of the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument by President Obama on August 24th, 2016. And so, this, for those of you that can't do math quickly, I can't. This month marks KWW's sixth anniversary. And in those six years, um, we've witnessed so many exciting successes for the monument, for the greater Katahdin region. Um, I mean, the popularity of this special place, the improvements that have been made, I think really emphasize how important public lands are to our present and to our future. So, to discuss all this and much more, I'm excited to be joined by someone who knows the monument very well, Sam Deeren, who is currently acting executive director at the Friends of Katahdin Woods and Waters. Sam, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, Colin. It's great to be here.
1: Awesome. Well, before we start our conversation, I just wanted to give our listeners a quick update on a topic we've discussed previously on the podcast. Um, The Inflation Reduction Act was officially signed into law on August 16th after being approved by the Senate and the House of Representatives in D.C. Here, as you heard, um, and as you may have seen here at NRCM, we're, we're really excited about this bill because it marks the largest ever investment in climate and clean energy in U.S. history. It's gonna deliver big benefits for Maine people by helping make clean energy, home efficiency and electrification, stuff like heat pumps, induction stoves, and electric vehicles more affordable and accessible to everyday people. Uh, and we know from experience that those, these technologies, they save people money. And, and the investments in this law are really gonna give us the boost that we need to help more and more Mainers uh, make the switch. And something I didn't realize actually is a, some of these incentives are uh, gonna go into place like in days, uh, really quick after the bill was signed. So be on the lookout for that. Okay, now let's move on to our conversation with Sam. Sam, I just thought I'd start by asking you to talk a little bit about who the Friends of Katahdin Woods and Waters uh, are and what you, what you do, what's your mission?
2: Awesome, thank you, Colin. And I, I'd actually like to start with a thanks to Natural Resources Council of Maine and to the NRCM membership. Um, Friends of Katahdin Woods and Waters is an, an organization that exists in, in partnership. I mean, it's right there in our name, Friends. Uh, so our partnership with NRCM continues to this day and. Uh, I don't think the monument would have been designated without the advocacy and tireless support of the NRCM organization. So thanks for getting us here and thanks for the continued involvement that pushes this special place forward. Um, When it comes to the mission of Friends of Katahdin Woods and Waters, it's right there in the language, which you can check out on our website. The mission language includes benefit for the National Monument and the surrounding communities for the inspiration and enjoyment of all generations. And what I I really love about that is that community and people are inherent in the work. So increasingly in the conservation movement, uh, we are moving on from the idea of wilderness as being this untouched and untended area. Uh, Darren Ranko here in what we now call Maine, who is the chair of Native American programs at UMaine has done some really important work pushing back on this idea that these spaces are untouched by people and has really pointed out that places all across the Americas have been tended in reciprocal relationships with indigenous peoples for thousands of years. And those relationships are really present and important today and into the future. So I'm really proud to do work that recognizes that land and people are interconnected. And um, it's right there in our mission and a part of how we do our work. So our first strategic plan had three pillars, visitation, infrastructure, and revitalization. So it was really about helping people orient to the landscape through that visitation pillar. We've produced uh, early materials, maps and guides, and online materials to help people experience the park. We'll, uh, I'd be happy to share about some infrastructure projects that we've worked on that have improved the visitor experience for folks. And revitalization, that pillar is largely about our work in community with youth programs uh, through a program called the Katata Learning Project.
1: Yeah, and so, I, I mean, I love what you just said about people and community, and, and I want to dig into that a little more. That's I particularly wanted to hear from you about uh, two of your programs. First, can you tell us a little bit more of, about your work with the Wabanaki Nations, and in particular, the New Moon Teaching Series, which I think just wrapped up?
2: Yeah, the, the New Moon Teaching Series wrapped up earlier this year. Uh, it took place on the New Moon for 12 consecutive months from February... 2021 to January 2022. And um, it it arose from our continued recognition of the landscape that comprises the National Monument. So Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument is the traditional territory of the Penobscot Nation. And it sits at a crossroads that's sacred to all the Wabanaki Nations. That's the Mi'kmaq Nation, Holton Band of Maliseet Indian, the Passamaquoddy bike, and and Madakmakuk and Penobscot Nation. Um, and so we wanted to produce a series in partnership with a Wabanaki advisory board that really pushed back on the power of colonial institutions like Friends of Katahdin Woods and Waters uh, in our capacity to make stories and instead center Wabanaki perspectives and shaping narratives about the landscape. So we really, we really wanted to be a part of creating space where uh, Wabanaki peoples could be sharing about their own culture. Um, so topics range from teachings from the elders to the Maine Indian Lane claims Settlement Act, to music, to present-day Wabanaki activism. And one of the things, a couple of things that were amazing about it, um, there was beautiful knowledge shared and challenging knowledge shared. Mm-hmm. And I think often there's a settler impulse, a colonial impulse to look at the beautiful things that are shared from indigenous cultures with uh, pointed disregard sometimes for the more challenging things that can be shared. And the series was a blend of both. Hmm. Um, and another thing that was really amazing about it is none of the, uh, none of the series episodes, if you'll call them that, um, were recorded to be shared. And for those that took part, I think it really asked us to be present in a different sort of way to, to really to really be there and listen as closely as we could in what was a passing moment. So um, it was a profound experience to be a part of. And um, to this day, I just feel deep gratitude for the Wabanaki advisory board and their contribution to the series and to all the presenters and um, a special shout out to Suzanne Greenlaw in particular, who was a huge part of uh, organizing the series.
1: Wow. That sounds, that sounds amazing. And I'm sure there's going to be more work that comes out of that. One thing I also wanted to, um, The second thing I wanted to touch on about uh, touch uh, have you touch on is um, what you just mentioned the Katahdin Learning Project. So this broader work of bringing youth other groups to experience the monument. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that work?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the mission of the program, which went through its own strategic planning process, um, it really mirrors the mission of Friends in a way. It's to nurture connections between learners and land. So again, there's that connection of people and place. Um, Katahdin learning project was one of the first programs associated with the National Monument. Um, It was actually founded in partnership with the National Park Foundation, and in collaboration with the National Park Service. And at a later date, it became a Friends of Katahdin Woods and Waters program. So uh, we're really proud to have it a part of our suite of work now. And like I said, it's a a huge piece of that revitalization pillar of our strategic plan. Um, As of this year, there's been over 8,000 student experiences and over 10,000 when you include community members like teachers, administrators, the bus drivers, it it takes many hands to make this programming happen. There's uh, three legs of the stool that they talk about in the program. So there's K through 12 education, that's trips into the monument, and then we also make an effort to visit schools and really bring the uh, interpretation from the monument to schools. And so much of it is interconnected. You know, to some extent, the the boundaries of the national monument are sort of to some, to some extent arbitrary. I know they have a lot of meaning in some contexts, but a lot of the history and culture really is interconnected between surrounding communities, mm-hmm. connected waterways. So. We bring a lot of that learning to schools and in both instances a major priority of us is reducing barriers to access so we provide free transportation when possible we provide free gear we're always looking at how we can make these experiences more accessible for for local students for um, learners from wabanaki nations from learner to to learners uh, to places beyond Um, the other uh, leg of the stool is professional development so each year they host a teacher camp where educators can come from across Maine and beyond to learn about place-based education and really get into some of the, the pedagogy of, of, uh, outdoor education. And then there's also a lead, no trace, uh, train the trainers, uh, workshop that we do each year. And then the last leg of the school is trail crews. So, um, mm. for a year in 2020, we worked with the friends of Baxter state park and hosted the Baxter youth conservation corps for a week of work. In Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument. And that program still operates with Friends of Baxter State Park. And for the last three years, we've partnered with Webinac Youth and Science and the National Park Service to uh, have an ancestral lands trail crew be present in the National Monument. So that program is really about blending Western science and traditional ecological knowledge. And they're doing trail work, archeo- archaeological digs, water quality testing, wildlife research. It's really about, you know, um, ancestral youth, having, having connections made on, on the landscape. Mm
1: -hmm. Wow. That, I mean, I, all that is just so inspiring. Do you guys sleep? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That's how it all happened. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I love, like you said, it's not a static landscape. It's, there's history there. There were people there before there were tribes there before we got here. Um, and uh, and there's lots of ways that people interact with it. And it's just great to see those programs. Um, let's just talk about, I, I just want to center people in the monument itself. How how would you, as somebody who's obviously been there, how would you describe and worked a lot with it? How would you describe it to someone who's never visited?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'd start by situating the landscape in, in that context I talked about earlier with, you know, really noting what its significance is to the indigenous peoples here and uh, what we now call the Wabanaki nations in the present day state of Maine. And so when you like think about that context, I just, I try to get visitors thinking about what does that mean for your visit there? Is there a way that we can give back to the landscape? Um, and I think there are opportunities to understand w- Wabanaki place Uh, through the worldview of Wabanaki people to the extent possible. So there's Wabanaki reach trainings, there's the Abbey Museum, the Wabanaki Nations websites. These to me are materials that you can read, whether you're at the monument or before you visit the monument or in a Mm -hmm. continued learning journey to really deeply understand the context of visiting these places. Um, So I I definitely encourage people to to take on that learning. And I think it only stands to enrich our understanding of place and what it means to to live in this landscape, to visit this landscape. So I'm um, really proud to say the Park Service is developing really strong nation to nation relationships, and they're doing all they can to uh, to make sure that they're meeting their mandate of consultation. Um, mm. I think another thing that's an important context, and this context is connected to the the history of Wabanaki presence on the landscape, is the, the lumbering history. So this is land that was recently logged. And uh, in some ways, that's it's beautiful to watch it grow and regenerate. So even over the course of a year, but certainly between visiting between two years, you can see trees that are transformed and growing larger and larger because it was recently logged. It's incredible birding habitat. You could Mm. visit with our friends at Maine Audubon who can tell you a lot more about that and in greater detail, but I think in part because it is newer forest, it's uh, an incredible place to, to observe birds and There are over 150 avian species that can be seen at Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument. It's been a huge activity for folks visiting. Um, And then I think the heart of the landscape is the rivers. So there's three rivers, the East Branch, the Wasata Cook, and the Saboas River. And um, from the East Branch, if you put in at Lungsuk camps, you can experience the Silver Maple floodplain, uh, which is unlike any place that I've personally ever been. And um, it's when I'm on the rivers that I really feel like I'm understanding Mm. what it means to visit that place. And so I encourage anybody who's making the visit to at least visit the riverbanks. And if you can pull it off, whether with the help of a local guide or with your own craft, uh, try to get out on the rivers. And then the last thing, and uh, this was commemorated in the designation of an International Dark Sky Sanctuary. Um, at Katahdin Woods and Waters, the dark skies are just, mm. they're stunning up here. Mm. And, uh, I've had the pleasure to move up here in the last year or so, and I, I have to remind myself, even living up here, to take time to go outside at night, because particularly around a new moon, but really on any night where it's, where there aren't too many clouds and the moon is low, just absolutely stunning views of the, of the Milky Way and of distant galaxies and other celestial ob- objects
1: um amazing um i you know i was gonna ask this question later but i'll ask it now i've got a confession to make which i've never actually visited katahdin woods and waters i'm relatively new to nrcm and to maine so i guess th- that's an excuse but i feel like it's not an excuse because this is such a gem um of course it's on my bucket list so i'm i'm curious um you gave you just gave some great tips i don't know if you have any other tips for folks folks that are listening who haven't visited but want to i mean just the you know getting off the road onto the river that was great i don't know if you have any other any other tips for folks that you want to touch on real quick and then we can sort of get back to the flow my flow of questions i was i was gonna plan on ask
2: yeah sure thing well i mean the first thing i just say is like feel free to give friends of katahdin woods and waters a call it's it's one for us, just fun and inspiring to chat about your trip. And we really like to meet you where you are. And if there's something you're really specifically interested in learning about or experiencing, we can help you customize a trip. And um, we're, we're just really happy to help out in that, in that way. Um, I'll also say that we've been really happy to see the staff growing at the National Park Service. So when I first started my job here, there's one year-round full-time employee Mm -hmm. Tim Hudson was the superintendent, and he did an amazing job getting to a lot of work. Uh, And as the staff has grown more, we're seeing more of the things that you might be familiar with at visiting other units of the National Park Service. So we highly recommend folks get the National Park Service app. It's awesome. You can get it on Android or an iPhone. Um, I'd recommend turning it to offline mode that allows you to have access to the materials on there, and particularly the map while you're out uh, on the monument lands. And then the other thing is um, campsites are now uh, available to reserve for Katahdin Woods and Waters on rec.gov, recreation.gov. And so if you want to put in that time before you visit to get your campsites booked, it can just give you that peace of mind, knowing that you'll, you know, where you'll be staying. So really want to encourage people to um, use these great park service resources. And like I said, feel free to call friends at Katahdin Woods and Waters. We'd love to chat.
1: Nice. Love it. Call the experts. Um, uh well, and that segues really nicely into another question I had. Um, campsites you mentioned are just one of many improvements I know that have been made over the past few years. And there's also some other simple changes like signs. So can you just detail some of those um, changes that have been made since the monument was established? and, and you know what why do they matter? Why, why, why is that important, both the monument and, you know, for visitors? Yeah, I mean, I I guess
2: I'll start with why it's important Um, accessibility is a huge priority for the Park Service and for Friends of Katahdin Woods and Waters and we want to make sure that um, these public lands can be enjoyed by many and are inclusive and so we are working with the Park Service and with other partners to ensure that uh, folks can experience this landscape and so a good recent example of that is last year we donated uh, seven campsites to the National Park Service uh, by the historic Lungsus Camps, so we call them the Lungsus Campsites. There's five single-use sites and two uh, group sites, and one of those single-use sites is an ADA-accessible campsite. Um, And the creation of those seven campsites doubled the car-accessible campsites at the National Monument. So um, we're seeing increased visitation, and we want to match that increased visitation by making sure that there's a place for people to comfortably stay and access many of the familiar amenities that you'd find in the National Park Service and to really have that emphasis on accessibility. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's been uh, infrastructure improvements around the park since its founding. And another good example of uh, of accessibility that was made possible was uh, a trail called the Lynx Trail, which is along the uh, Loop Road Overlook, or excuse me, the Loop Road. Mm -hmm. And that was built by the Appalachian Mountain Club in partnership with the National Park Service. So, uh, yeah.
1: Great. Um, I mean, you talked about visitation growing. I want to talk about visitation and then associated economic impact too. I've seen really great numbers um, about this continuing growing popularity of KWW, which of course brings people to the entire region, right? It brings people to local businesses. It brings, and so can you just talk a little bit about um, you know the economic impact and and the sort of ripple effect th- throughout the region of of you know the pop the this growing popularity of KWW.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate that that question. It's a part of the promise of the National Monument, and it's uh, I think enshrined in our mission when we talk about our support for the surrounding community. So um visitation drives economic impact and um, our colleagues at the national park service are collecting data regularly about the number of visitors and where they're headed so we've seen the numbers grow since the founding to about uh 40,000 which is the last official count I saw and in 2020 they measured the economic impact based on that visitation so there were 41,000 visitors the spending in nearby communities supported 38 jobs and that led to a 3.3 million dollar cumulative benefit to the local economy just incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and living here I I see it. Now, it's it's in the stories as much as it hmm. is in the numbers. So, local businesses all across the region are investing to expand their operations. So, New England Outdoor Center is yeah. adding on, they've got a brewery that's opening soon and a new activity center. Shinpan Village has just added an awesome new restaurant and and built out their um, snowmobile and ATV rental services. Mount Chase Lodge has been adding uh, extra rooms. Richardson's Hardware is uh, as awesome. built on an, an auto shop and is going to be selling docks soon. So it's, you know, you can see it in real time. Uh-huh. Year after year, these places are growing. So more visitation equals more benefit. And uh, we're hoping that the visitation keeps growing each year and we're going to support that growth. And I think the hope for many regionally is that outdoor recreation plays a major role in a diversified Katahdin region economy. So Mm hmm. Cornerstone piece of a prosperous future here in the Katahdin region.
1: So so I mean, it's fantastic to hear those numbers and just that that I love those anecdotal examples, too, of of the difference it's making. So, you know, related to that, I wanted to touch on something that, you know, our listeners might have seen in the news recently. That's this bill that was filed by um, Maine Senators Angus King and Susan Collins in the U.S. Congress. Uh, to improve access to KWW, support local businesses. Can you just quickly tell us about that, that bill? Um. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So it's Senate Bill 4784 is introduced uh, last week. Uh, we saw a press release from Senator King and Collins, and we were super thankful for their work and their leadership. It's aptly named the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument Access Act. So it's really really all about access. So what the bill would do is adjust the southern boundary of the national mount, monument to allow the acquisition of land from a willing and interested seller or donor with that focus on increasing access to the monument from the southern communities in particular. So Millinocket, East Millinocket, Medway. The important thing to know is that it, it makes that possible, but it's not a done deal. So uh, the legislation gives the authority, but it doesn't mean that the lands are automatically added. And so there's work to do to, to make that opportunity um, come to life. Uh, and we're mm-hmm. really excited to do that work. Uh, in addition, the bill allows the National Park Service to have authorities to purchase or lease facilities for a park headquarters, staff offices, and visitor services outside the boundary of the monument. So we're happy to to have a, a victory for our colleagues at the Park Service on the table so that they have a bit more freedom and you know, setting up some really important infrastructure for themselves to do their work for for many many years to come. Mm-hmm. So we're we're looking forward to these opportunities to improve access, and I'm sure we'll be working with NRCM and yeah. many of the other advocacy partners to make sure this legislation delivers on its promise.
1: Yeah, and I know you mentioned Maine Audubon before. You know, I know they're they're supportive of that bill, obviously NRCM too. So we'll be tracking that. We'll keep our our members, our supporters, and our listeners. Um, updated on that. So uh, let's wrap up. What's next for the monument? what what are you, so much has happened? What are some of the are some of the sort of changes in store that you're most excited about?
2: Well, I've mentioned it throughout the the program today, but I think one thing that I'm just thrilled about is seeing the National Park Service staff continue to grow. Uh, mm-hmm. We are so grateful for, for their work, for their service, and uh, we're we're seeing them do some incredible work with interpretation, natural and cultural resources. And we're really proud of their uh, leaning into the nation-to-nation relationships with the Wabanaki Nations. And I think their consultation there can only produce amazing things for the National Monument. So just huge shout out to our colleagues at the National Park Service and for their for their continued growth and their continued good work to support this National Monument, which is going to mean more visitation, mm-hmm. more people experiencing the monument, more people coming to the Katahdin region and appreciating this area and uh, improving those economic benefits we talked about. The other thing that I'm really excited for programmatically for friends at Katahdin Woods and Waters is um, I mentioned a strategic framework that was adopted for the Katahdin Learning Project. We're in year two of that strategic framework. It goes for three years. And year two is really the like, all right, let's, let's kick it up a notch year. So mm-hmm. we're ready to deliver on that promise, that framework, and really see if we can build out both the, the breadth and depth of student experiences so that we can reach and deeply impact as many young awesome. people in the Katahdin region and places beyond.
1: That's awesome. Uh, and I echo that. Thanks to the national park service, public servant, being a public servant is not an easy job sometimes, but it's so important for, uh, you know, running a place like the monument. Uh, and I, I, you know, when you first talked about the learning project, I didn't think you could do anymore, but you can, and it's exciting. It's so exciting that you're going to continue to expand it and to introduce people and, to to the monument and have those conversations. Well, this has been really great, Sam, and I I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Um, I also understand that Friends of KWW also throws quite a party, like you said. Um, Yeah, you sort of um, uh, talked about it right at the beginning, but um, as you do every year, you're hosting an anniversary celebration in August with community members and other partners. I know NRCM is proud to be a sponsor, uh so, some of our staff team will be there um but i don't know if you want to say anything about that event
2: yeah well first of all, thanks to nrcm and looking forward to seeing your staff there uh we do throw a credit party i think i think that's right <laughs> and uh and we do it each year in partnership with Maine beer company so they'll be serving up their woods and waters ipa it's awesome. august 27th at new england outdoor center six years of the national monument um we're going to have great food served from New England Outdoor Center. Firefly the Hybrid, who is a Penobscot musician, among many other creative and amazing, amazing. talents, who performed during our New Moon Teaching Series, is going to be performing at New England Outdoor Center. And uh, if anyone's interested in signing up and joining the party, you can go to friendsofkww.org anniversary, and we'll uh, we'll see your registration roll in and look forward to seeing you there.
1: Nice. Well, I can't make it this year, but... Uh, the anniversaries are going to keep coming, and I know you'll keep throwing the party. So I look forward to a future year. It sounds awesome. Um, well, so thanks again, Sam. We're so lucky to have friends of KWW uh, doing the work that you do. We're so lucky to have KWW as this amazing public resource, um, and and it's wonderful to hear the work that's being done to expand access to it, and 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 both. To have those deep conversations with as well as you've said several times with the Wabanaki nation and to both acknowledge uh the pa- the past of that place uh and to and and to also um you know learn from it and 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 continue those conversations so uh um, thanks for everything that you and your team do for kww uh and thanks also again for joining us.
2: yeah. Absolutely. And thank you, Colin, for for doing this work and spreading good news from uh from NRCM's platform. And thanks to NRCM for your partnership over the years. And we're looking we're looking forward to many good projects to come. So thank you.
1: Yes. Can't wait for them. Um Well, that was a lot of thanks, but I'm also going to add another thanks to all of our listeners, as always, for tuning in. Uh, As I do every time, um, you know, if you like what you hear, share it with your friends or family. Give us that review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, And um, Sam mentioned it before, but if you want to learn more about the Friends of Catan Woods and Waters, head over to their website at friendsofkww.org to find out about all their events and activities. And thanks again for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoy this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and several other podcast listening apps. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of the Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work, visit nrcm.org. follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NRCM Environment.